Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, if you have your Bible in hand, or if you need a pew Bible, we have those provided for you. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. And you go ahead of me. I'm going to lag back in Luke 14 for a minute, if that's okay. My Bible is already open there. For the last two months or so, we've been studying together chapters 14 and 15 of the Gospel of Luke. And the setting and the theme of those two chapters is undeniably food-related. Let me show you what I mean. Look at the very first verse, or listen to it, of chapter 14 of Luke. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. So right away, we're introduced to a meal. And in verse 8, Jesus told a parable about a wedding feast in verse 12, he rebuked the host of the luncheon for only inviting those who could reciprocate and throw another luncheon. And to break the tension in that party, someone, a lunch guest, offered a toast and said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with yet another parable, this time about a supersized supper that was given by a man, the invitation to which was met with a host of excuses. And then leaving the luncheon, Jesus returns to teaching the masses, the common people, and he warns them to count the cost of being his disciple. And to hammer home the point, he summarizes everything he says to them in verse 34 with yet another reference to food. He said, salt is good, but if it's lost its tastefulness, it's useless. And then two Sundays back, we explored two parables taught in chapter 15 that of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And the conclusion to both of those stories is that when what is lost is found and returned, there was a celebration, or I'm assuming there was food served. And last Sunday, we looked at the third of those parables in Luke 15. We called it the parable of the incredibly gracious father. And like the stories before it, it was about something valuable that was lost, this time a son. And it was found, it was brought home, and a great celebration ensues. But, but before that, in verse 16, listen to this reference. He says, of the prodigal son, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. And then when he does come home, the father, remember, called for the robe to be put on him and ring on his finger. And then he said this, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Let us eat and celebrate. Well, this morning we're going to talk about eating and drinking and celebrating. Our message is on the Lord's Supper, its origins, its observance, and its objective. And then after the message, we're going to practice what we preach and we're going to take of the Lord's Supper together. So 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, this do in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May the Lord add his blessing, the reading of his word. Now, of course, this epistle, 1 Corinthians, was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. And in many ways, the Corinthian church was dysfunctional. You might remember that they had sexual immorality that had arisen in the church and it was going unaddressed. People were just pretending not to notice it. There were doctrinal problems in the church, but probably uh, the greatest problem they were facing was factionalism. Some were following one teacher, others were following another. And that factionalism was manifest not only in your preference of preachers, it was manifest between cultural classes. The wealthy and the poor were at odds apparently. And it really came home during the taking of the Lord's Supper in which they apparently missed the point altogether. In the earliest days of the church, the Lord's Supper was preceded by what we know as a love feast. The people would bring food from home. They would share it together. Each one would bring some, a potluck supper we would call it today. And at the end of that love feast, there was the taking of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. But apparently the people had begun to pollute and misuse the Lord's Supper and it was causing factions. Look at verse 19. He says, for there also are factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the word church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. And so the wealthy were bringing a five course meal and saying, this is for us and our friends. And some were using it as occasion to get drunk. Can you imagine that? Getting drunk at church. And that's what they were doing. And so they were expecting Paul to say, yeah, that love feast you're having, that's wonderful. He says, I won't praise you for that because you're not coming for the appropriate reasons. You've misunderstood the supper altogether. And we as a church, don't want to be guilty of missing the point of the Lord's Supper. So let's look at Paul's teaching on the supper very closely. First, let's look at its origin, how it got started. Verse 23 says, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. We call the Lord's Supper because it was the Lord's idea, wasn't it? Paul didn't get this instruction secondhand. We're not told exactly how the risen Christ revealed it to him, only that he did. A similar thing he says in Galatians chapter 1, where he says he received the gospel, not from other men, but directly from the Lord. This is a revelation from Jesus, I take it. And the Lord's Supper is one of only two commanded ceremonies by the Lord Jesus. The other, of course, is baptism. And because baptism and the Lord's Supper were commanded, another word for command is ordained by Jesus, we call them ordinances. Now, where is this command stated? Where did Jesus say to take the Lord's Supper? What's well, in verse 25 when he says, do this in remembrance of me. What could be a clearer commandment than do this? And so Jesus says we're to do it. Now, because there's been so much bad teaching about the ordinances, it's important to say what the ordinances are and what they're not. First of all, they are a symbol of the gospel, aren't they? In baptism, we see his 
incarnation, that he took on a body, that he literally died, that he was buried and that he is resurrected. In the Lord's Supper, we see his body broken and his blood poured out. And we also anticipate his coming kingdom. But the supper is not a sacrament, is it? A sacrament is a religious rite in which some would say grace is distributed. They would say it is salvific. We deny that as Baptists and as Protestants. We are not saved through the ordinances, are we? We conduct the ordinances because we are saved as a testimony of that truth. But since the Lord's Supper is commanded by Jesus, it is not optional. But we know the Lord said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So Jesus is not trying, as the Pharisees did, to add ritual to ritual, ceremony to ceremony, law to law. He just gives us two very simple and symbolic ordinances. But just because the ordinances are few in number and symbolic in nature, it doesn't mean that they are unimportant. And it certainly doesn't mean that they can be observed optionally or flippantly. After all, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper were not only commanded by Jesus, but also they were modeled by Jesus, weren't they? Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, the scripture says, to fulfill all righteousness. And he took of the supper with his disciples in the upper room. So, so with that thought of what the supper is and what it is not, let's move now into the observance of the supper. Now, when people ask me questions about the Lord's Supper, they have some frequently asked questions, and I've narrowed that down to three that I want to address this morning. One of the questions they often ask is, how often should it be taken? Now, again, we always want to avoid legalism. There are churches that you know of that take of the Lord's Supper every week, and there's no prohibition in the Bible against that. Some do it quarterly, and our church has chosen to observe the Lord's Supper six times a year. The Bible does not prescribe how often. And where the Bible doesn't prescribe, we should not be legalistic about our own practice or that of someone else. He simply says, as off as you do it. He assumes we will do it because it's commanded. And he says, as often as you do it, do it appropriately. So that's how often. How long? That is, in what duration? Well, the scripture says, verse 26, until he comes, we proclaim the Lord's death through the supper. Christians have been taking of the Lord's Supper since the time of Christ when he gave the commandment in the upper room the night of his arrest and we will continue to do that until Jesus comes again. But the most important question about the Lord's Supper is not how often or for how long, it's with what attitude should we do it? That really is where the rubber hits the road for Christians today. God is always more interested in our heart attitude, our motives, than he is our outward practice. And the most important question is how we do it. Man looks on outward appearances, the scripture says. God judges the heart. And so what's the heart attitude to be? Well, the Lord's Supper, first of all, is to be observed thoughtfully. Thoughtfully. Now, this is the opposite of the way that some in the church at Corinth apparently were doing it. Look at verse 28. He says, but a man must examine himself and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so we're not to come into the house of the Lord flippantly with our mind on other things, certainly on sinful things. He says you need to be introspective. You need to examine yourself and your heart attitude 
and your behavior. Now, these people in Corinth apparently were taking the supper selfishly. As I said, they were using it as an occasion for drunkenness and uh, were soundly rebuked by Paul because of their misunderstanding and misapplication of the supper. Because here's what was happening. The supper, which was to be a sign and a promotion of church unity, was becoming an opportunity to cause disunity in the church. And so he says, let everyone examine his heart. And as I've said to many of you in my office, I'm not a priest. I'm not here to hear confession. The scripture says that we're to confess our sins one to another, but we are to confess it. We're to each one to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and mind to see if there's any unclean thing there. And if there is sin discovered in that introspection, we're to confess it, to take ownership of it, and to turn away from it. That is to repent of sins. And scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we are here today to take of the supper thoughtfully. But also thankfully, you'll notice here in verse 24 that the first thing that Jesus did when he instituted the supper is that he gave thanks. Probably, hopefully, when you gather with your family to break bread in the, in the table that the Lord has provided at home, you pause to give thanks. Jesus did that. So what is he giving thanks for? I think a multitude of things. He's giving thanks for the bread and what it symbolizes, his body, which is to be broken. He gives thanks for the cup and what it symbolizes, his blood poured out for the remission of sins. He's given thanks ultimately for the gospel that God saves sinners. And he's thankful for those men that he first took it with, that they would be the means through which that gospel would be disseminated to the four corners of the world. And so we're to take of the supper thoughtfully, thankfully, and then humbly. Look at verse 20. It says, therefore, Paul says to the Corinthian church, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, one takes his own supper and one is hungry and another is drunk. What do you think? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? If you are shaming another person, either because you are wealthier than they are, or better educated than they are, or you think yourself morally superior to them. You're, you're behaving not like a Christian, but as a Pharisee. And if there's one thing Jesus rebuked, it was the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so uh, the Lord's Supper is not a place to show one's piety. We're not trying to outdo one another in how holy we are. In fact, just the opposite. The Lord's Supper is an occasion to reflect upon one's own unworthiness to be here. It's not a place to show individualism. It's not a place to stand out from the crowd, but it is a place to show unity. Paul said the church is one body, we have one faith and one Lord and, and one baptism. And this supper is for all true believers. And we understand that. We understand that uh, we're not here because of personal merit. We are reminded that we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, despite our sinfulness. Well, thirdly, 
Let's look at the Lord's Supper's objective. Why do we take it ultimately? Well, he tells us in verse 24, doesn't he? And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take of the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of certain things. Now, you may be tempted to think at this point, I would never forget the Lord. Why would I have to be reminded about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? I'd never forget that. Well, here's one thing I've learned about human beings in pastoring for 25 years. We forget. And we need to be reminded constantly, over and over. I have a deal with every assistant I've ever had, and that is you will never offend me by reminding me too many times what my next appointment is because I forget and I'll go off to the hospital and make a visit and someone will be waiting to see me. So they cannot offend me by reminding me too many times. The apostle Peter, when he came near the end of his life, seems to indicate that that was his view of preaching. He, he says, I am determined, I take it through preaching, to remind you of what you already know. I'm under no illusion that you have been coming to church for decades are waiting on the end of your seat every Sunday for Pastor Keith to say something you've never heard. And by the way, if you've been coming to church for 40 years and Brother Keith has an interpretation you've never heard, don't believe it. <laughs> I think one of the most frightening sentences I've ever heard any pastor say is, I'm going to interpret this passage in a way that never has been interpreted before. You can get ready for some heresy. We just remind each other of the timeless truths over and over because we forget. And that is what the Lord's Supper is all about. And so if the objective of the Lord's Supper is to remind us, what, what should it remind us of? Well, there are a number of things, five that I've listed here. Number one, the Lord's death. And I say it this way around the Lord's table. Remember the high cost of your sin and the great love with which he loved us. Those are two sides of the same coin. Jesus is on the cross, not for what he did, but for sins that I committed. And what motivated him to go to the cross, it's the great love wherewith he loved us. And so we're reminded of his broken body in the bread and his spilled and poured out blood in the cup. But then we're also reminded, secondly, of our salvation. That is the result of his broken body and poured out blood. It's the eternal life that his death purchased. We call that redemption. We were enslaved to our own sin, and he set us free. And the purchase price of our enslavement to sin was his dear son and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. And he did that in theological terms through substitutionary atonement. Scripture tells us in Romans, the wages of sin is death. That is what we had earned. But instead, he stood as our substitute at the cross and took the punishment that we richly deserved. We remind each other of that every time we take the Lord's table. It also reminds us of Christian unity, that we don't walk this world alone. We have brothers and sisters, not only in this room who take of the same supper we do, but we have brothers and sisters all over the world. 
That is why I think it's such an outrageous sin for the Corinthian church to use the supper as a means to cause disunity. How serious is that sin to misuse the Lord's Supper? Well, he tells us. Look at verse 29, 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. By the way, that's a euphemism for death. Some of them had died. That's how seriously the Lord takes the Lord's Supper. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The Lord uses discipline to purify his church. And so we're reminded of his death, our salvation, Christian unity. But fourthly, uh, we're reminded of the covenant of grace that God has made with his people. This was the covenant that was predicted in the Old Testament by the prophet Jeremiah. See, in the old covenant, Jeremiah's day, they were reminded of God's holiness through the perpetual sacrifices. When Jesus came along, he is the once for all sacrifice, isn't he? Never having to be repeated. And he ratified this covenant of grace, we call it, by the shedding of his blood. And that's what is symbolized in the Lord's Supper. That's what Jesus told his disciples there in the upper room. This covenant of grace that will never be broken. And then fifthly, we are reminded that there is a celebration coming, aren't we? This world's a mess, would you agree? Sometimes we despair of it. And we need to be reminded there is a heaven, and this isn't it. But there is a celebration coming. And we talked about that some weeks ago when, remember that Pharisee lifted his cup and said, blessed are all those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. He thought he would be there. Jesus says, you're not going to be there unless you change your heart, unless you repent. The ones that are going to be there are, are those who accept his invitation and don't make excuses. Who, who come through his son the way that he prescribes and count the cost and persevere to the end. They are going to be the ones who enjoy this celebration supper. And then in Revelation 19, 7, the apostle John Remember, has that great, incredible privilege of being transported into the future to see this celebration scene. And it's recorded in Revelation 19.7, which says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Then he said to me, Write! Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. There is a celebration coming. And, and when we take of the Lord's Supper, it's, it's just a little foretaste of that. It reminds us. Some months ago, I was in Portland, Oregon, visiting a church planter there. And the entire time I was there, he kept telling me, I can't wait to take you to this ice cream shop. People are coming from all over to this ice cream shop and it was called the salt and straw. And finally the, the evening came, he was gonna take us to this ice cream shop. It was in a very sketchy neighborhood and we parked our car and we walked a long way and I could see as I approached this shop, a line that wrapped literally around the block. Now you might guess I like ice cream, but I don't like waiting in line. 
And that line looked like it was going to take at least an hour. And it did. But we got in line. He said, it's worth the wait. But you know what happened about every 10 minutes? Some workers in that ice cream shop would come out. And they had five little baby spoons. You remember those little baby spoons? And each one of them had a different flavor of ice cream on it. And they would hold it out like a fan to you. And you'd get to taste each of those five flavors. You'd move up in line a little bit. And 10 minutes later, they'd come out with five more flavors. And this went on for an hour until you finally made it to the front of the line. Do you know why they brought those flavors out? It was ostensibly to help you pick a flavor. But I know the truth. They brought those samples out to keep you from turning around and going home. <laughs> they wanted you to know to stay in line. It's worth the late, the wait, persevere until the end. And friends, that is one of the primary purposes I'm convinced of the Lord's Supper. We get a little taste of it here, of that celebration that is to come. And he's saying, don't quit. Persevere to the end. There is a heaven to gain. In fact, Jesus says, not only there's a heaven to gain, he says, I'm going to be there with you. Matthew 26, as Matthew records what happened that night in the upper room. I often read it here when we take of the supper. He says, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on. Listen to this. Until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Jesus will be there. He will once again participate in this heavenly supper. Now, last Sunday morning, the choir sang a new anthem. At least it is new to me. And the title of it is, Is He Worthy? And if you remember, Stephen Carmichael sang the solo and he would sing a line. It was to be a question. And then the choir would respond and answer to his question. For example, the first line is, do you feel the world is broken? And the choir responded, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And then the second verse goes like this. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is the new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. And then the last line is this. Is it good to remind ourselves of this? And let me ask you, is it good to remind ourselves of the broken body and the spilled out blood of Jesus? It is. Is it good to remind ourselves that we share this with believers all over the world? Is it good to remind ourselves that there is a celebration coming one day? Well, then let's take of the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word and we thank you because we know the purpose of the supper is to remind us of what we too soon would forget otherwise. And Father, we never want to forget the great love wherewith you loved us and the high cost of our sin. And so, Lord, help us to take of the supper thoughtfully and thankfully and humbly today. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who does not yet know you as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day that they would cry out for forgiveness of sins 
and that you'd hear their their prayer, Father, that they'd be saved. Father, I pray for any person here who needs a fresh touch from you, and that's all of us, Lord, that your spirit would move mightily among us. Father, we're looking forward to the revival meeting next Sunday. And Father, uh, if we know anything about a movement of your spirit, it's in a setting of contrition and repentance. And so, Father, may it begin even now before next week. And I pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.